And you're listening to WMNF 88.5 on your dial. WMNF Tampa. And this is the Ultrasound Show on every Thursday night from 11 till 1. My name is E-Love. And tonight we have special guest. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Ray Pete, who has a PhD in biology uh, from the University of Oregon with specialization in physiology. He's taught at several universities, including the Uni of Oregon and uh, Montana State University and also the National College of Naturopathic Medicine and Blake College. He also conducts private nutritional counseling and today we're speaking with him about the effects of stress and trauma on the body greetings and welcome to the ultrasound show thank you okay so let's dive in tonight's theme is really about how the body reacts to stress and trauma so let's first talk about day-to-day stress and what happens to the body and the brain physiologically First thing is that uh, if you're really healthy, you can meet challenges without experiencing uh, something that Hans you would have called stress. Uh, for example, uh, if you uh, are not very healthy, uh, just skipping a meal can put you in really serious stress. But a healthy person stores something like seven or eight ounces of glucose in the form of glycogen in the the liver and uh, muscles and brain. And since uh, at rest, the muscles can uh, burn primarily uh, fatty acids, uh, your brain is the main thing that consumes uh, glucose. So if you're uh, at uh, more or less uh, inactive and relaxed, you can easily go 12 to 15 hours without eating and without having any stress at all. But um, if you're not able to store that much glycogen, and uh, for example, low thyroid people or people with a history of severe stress aren't able to store very much glycogen. And so uh, when you run out of sugar, whether it's from going all day without eating or because your liver isn't very efficient, uh, then your body tries to uh, increase the available uh, glucose. Uh, Normally, just uh, being awake makes enough uh, adrenaline to mobilize as much of the uh, glucose from your stores as you need. Um, But when you run out of uh, that stored sugar, Uh, your brain still requires uh, sugar to uh, function properly. And uh, so uh, instead of just increasing the adrenaline more and more, when the adrenaline reaches a certain level and can't get the blood sugar up out of your storage, then you turn on the cortisol, and that's the classic uh, stress that can be harmful because the cortisol dissolves uh, first tissues like the the thymus, which are very fragile, uh, that starts turning to sugar uh, just immediately when you run out of stored glycogen. And when the thymus is gone in just two or three hours of intense stress, 
they think adults uh, don't have thymus glands because uh, by the time they're dead and uh, uh, are analyzed, the thymus has been eaten up by stress. So they might have had a perfectly normal thymus until they were sick and dead. Um, but after the, the thymus is consumed and turned to sugar, then uh, the cortisol starts breaking down your muscles and uh, then the skin and uh, the, the brain, lungs, and heart are spared from stress, uh, partly because they are uh, very saturated in a healthy person with androgens, testosterone and DHEA especially, which block the breakdown function of cortisol. And uh, if your brain, lungs, and heart are, are short of those uh, protective steroids, then that's where uh, the, the stress really starts causing uh, severe, deadly damage. And um, the post-traumatic stress disorder uh, is produced when someone has had such terrible stress, such as being tortured or, or being in uh, terrific catastrophes. Uh, they not only deplete their uh, the stored uh, glycogen and break down the, the expendable tissues like thymus and liver, but the, the, then the cortisol starts damaging the brain and heart and so on, so they get uh, very severe uh, chronic symptoms. And once the stress is completely resolved, then the brain can massively regenerate itself. Uh, for example, they've seen MRIs of uh, girls who had simply been uh, in the anorexia for months. Their brain shrinks from the uh, living on the cortisol, breaking down their tissues. But once they start eating, then the brain can uh, rebuild itself in just a, a few weeks. Now, how often does one... Uh, have to eat or is it required or recommended for one to eat in order to not have this stress reaction happen? Um, the the uh, famous Argentine biologist Bernardo Husay in the 1940s, I think he was the first one to show that if he fed his animals only once a day, they not only tended to get fat on the same amount of calories, but they uh, had a high incidence of diabetes. But if he fed them at least three times a day or more, uh, then they were very res resistant to uh, diabetes and uh, were less fattened on a given number of calories. So uh, more or less nibbling all the time is the safest thing, but uh, if you have a really good diet and uh, aren't under emotional uh, pressure, uh, then a person can uh, get along on uh, one or two meals a day. Now let's talk about a really good diet. What is a really good diet for the optimal health of the body, the brain, the heart, all of the organs? There's a lot of disputes and conversations about optimal diets does it differ with different people or is there an overall optimal and then there's little bits and pieces that different people with different blood types can do um uh, the uh, blood type 
has almost no effect because you can see in uh, even very different species of animal uh, that have very different ways of living, you can see the same processes. So there's, there's a universal animal uh, diet that uh, is optimal, but the proportions vary with the type of activity and your body size and uh, uh, metabolic rate uh, and personal history. Uh, your previous stresses will affect what you need. So let's talk about someone who perhaps is not that healthy and that does have stress, which is quite common. What would be the recommended uh, diet for them? What's some of the things that they can eat? Uh, one of the reasons that the single meal eaters tend to get fat and diabetic uh, is that it triggers a, a great surge of insulin, and the insulin then triggers uh, cortisol. And so if you can eat foods that don't trigger insulin, uh, that's the ideal thing. And uh, fruit happens to be the, the, the best single type of food uh, for not triggering the stress reaction because uh, it combines very small amounts of protein with large amounts of sugar and the minerals. Uh, potassium happens to uh, handle sugar in place of insulin. And uh, the fructose component of uh, fruit sugar uh, doesn't require insulin. Uh, so uh, eating a lot of fruit, even in one meal a day, uh, produces a much smaller amount of insulin, obesity, and cortisol uh, than eating, for example, uh, just one big meal of uh, meat and potatoes, for example. Uh, meat powerfully stimulates insulin and cortisol, and uh, starches are more stimulating to insulin than sugars. So it's almost counterintuitive when you're talking about uh, taking in fructose in the form of fruit with people that are insulin sensitive. Oh, well, uh, for about a hundred years, uh, fructose has been recognized as the ideal sugar for diabetics because they can metabolize it uh, without needing uh, insulin. Uh, it used to be sold in uh, health food stores all across the country, and you can still find it in, in most health food stores for diabetics. Now let's uh, talk about high fructose corn syrup and the difference between fructose from fruit. Um, the the uh, funny thing about that is that uh, if you look at the uh, fructose and glucose content, it uh, seems to be not very different from any old sugar, maybe uh, 45, 55% uh, rather than an exact 50-50 balance fructose and glucose. But people actually thought to analyze what is in the stuff other than fructose and glucose. And it turns out that the reason people get fat on uh, soft drinks that contain it is that it contains a huge amount of calories that are neither 
glucose nor fructose. It's the uh, syrupy component, basically a type of cornstarch or corn syrup, which they don't count it because it isn't fructose or glucose, but it's there as calories. Now, they're using this in so many different things from salad dressings to soft drinks. Um, uh, yeah, uh, it was a, a trick because of the um, boycott of Cuban sugar starting in the 60s. <clears throat> um, the the uh, price of sugar went up because they wouldn't buy it from where it was cheap. Um, so uh, the corn starch producers uh, learned how to uh, produce something resembling sugar. And it, it's really like the old Caro syrup, which was uh, not a very appetizing way to sweeten things. But uh, during the Second World War, uh, the uh, I think the Germans pioneered it. But uh, in the United States, uh, sugar was scarce and corn syrup uh, started being used in uh, uh, canned things and even in homes as, as a substitute for sugar. But the, um, the sweeter uh, form, more palatable form that they call high fructose corn syrup was developed in the 60s uh, in response to the increased price of sugar. It's amazing. They've done uh, similar things with oils, too, in, um, in using uh, oils that are quite toxic in our foods. Uh, yeah, the uh, uh, cottonseed industry was a, a major uh, power behind that. Way back in the end of the uh, 1800s, uh, the uh, uh, gin of, um, to make uh, cotton textiles um, more more economical they had machines to get the seeds out of the cotton and uh, in proportion to the production of cotton they were accumulating seeds that were too toxic to feed to animals and uh, they found that they could squeeze oil out of the cotton seed and uh, by chemically hardening it uh, they could uh, sell it as artificial butter and uh, the, um, the butter industry finally, uh, they were, um, for uh, I guess, about 20 years required to uh, sell it in a colorless state. And the person had to add color so that it wouldn't ruin the, the uh, butter industry. But uh, the seed industry, seed oil industry, gradually got powerful enough that they could uh, convince people that it's better than butter, but in fact it, it uh, has many toxic effects that butter doesn't have. Is this the same as rapeseed oil? Uh, the um, first rapeseed oil uh, happened to uh, cause severe heart disease, and the industry wanted to uh, sell it for margarine and cooking oil and so on, and uh, there was a particular oil in that plant that they decided to blame uh, the uh, heart injury on. But Hans Selye uh, did experiments uh, studying the, the type of lesion in the heart produced by rapeseed oil. 
and he found that it was the linoleic acid in it, which is still in it. They took out the, uh, the peculiar, uh, unusual uh, fatty acid, but um, the essential fatty acid, linoleic acid, is, is heart toxic. And uh, Hans Selye showed that if you added cocoa butter, uh, a highly saturated stearic acid, to the rapeseed oil, it no longer causes uh, death of the heart cells. So it's just the excess of polyunsaturated uh, fat that made the, uh, the rapeseed oil or canola or cottonseed oil, uh, all of those are, are, are actually toxic if you uh, eat very much of it. What about soybean oil? Because they're all GMO now. Um, yeah, the, uh, it, it's still the uh, polyunsaturated component, which is, um, it turns into uh, prostaglandins, which promote all kinds of inflammation and degenerative diseases. As early as uh, 1964, uh, I think it was a Dutch researcher named Betcher, um, sliced open the uh, uh, lesions in uh, atherosclerotic arteries at all different stages of development and to analyze the fats in them. And he saw that uh, he, he called it uh, a primitive idea that cholesterol uh, got uh, diffused out of the blood into the artery and damaged it. He said that the situation is very different from that. And uh, many fats uh, change at the beginning before the uh, change happens in the cholesterol. And in the most advanced uh, lesions, the, the farthest advanced uh, atherosclerosis, he found that the content of linoleic acid uh, was highest, the worst the lesion. And uh, after that, uh, many other people demonstrated that the um, uh, oxidation products of these unstable, highly unsaturated fats uh, are found increasingly in the uh, atherosclerosis. It's very interesting to me that things like uh, these different seed oils, canola oil, soybean oil, high fructose corn syrup, butter substitutes, all of these things are being advertised as better for your health. And it's really about the consumers self-educating themselves and looking beyond the advertising. Um, yeah, it's um, they have to think of some excuse for um, claiming that people should buy them because they don't taste good. And so the idea that uh, if they are essential uh, in some sense, uh, then the more you eat, the better they are. But in fact, uh, it's very questionable whether they're essential as a nutrient at all. Uh, animals can live more or less indefinitely. You can grow cells forever in a dish uh, without any of those, uh, uh, which I, I think that alone uh, proves that they're not essential nutrients. And the more uh, you increase in the diet, uh, there's a direct relationship with the 
incidence of spontaneous cancer in proportion to the essential fatty acids, so-called. And that was first demonstrated in 1927 and over and over. But the industry uh, keeps uh, publicizing them as uh, health foods. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's the way it's been for many, many years, and it'll probably continue. Although... I think people are becoming more aware and being more conscious and really trying to seek out different dietary options. And going back to the roots, there's been a big surgence of um, grass-fed beef, for example. Um, yeah, the, the um, beyond fruits in the ideal diet, uh, the uh, ruminants are able to detoxify the polyunsaturated fats in grains or grasses and uh, it happens to be vitamin E in the grass which uh, enables them to convert uh, polyunsaturated linoleic acid into the trans fatty acids and the uh, uh, there's one of the uh, components of butter or beef fat that is uh, being sold as a drug or a health food uh, because it counteracts the toxic effects of the polyunsaturated fats. That's called the conjugated linoleic acid. Uh, and you get some of that in beef, butter, cheese, and milk. And uh, the high uh, ratio of calcium to phosphate in butter and cheese uh, comes from the fact that uh, green leaves, if the cow is allowed to uh, eat at least some uh, hay and, and grass, uh, the um, leaves contain a, a low amount of phosphate and a high amount of magnesium, calcium, and other uh, safe minerals. Uh, too much phosphate, which... Um, you would uh, get on a grain-based and meat-based diet mostly. Uh, the phosphate becomes toxic when it isn't balanced by at least as much calcium and uh, other minerals, including magnesium. And uh, so milk and fruit and cheese uh, give you the uh, main nutrients. Uh, and then there are just the, uh, the regionally deficient uh, things such as iodine and selenium, that if you eat some kind of seafood, uh, then you're getting the the basic things for uh, anti-stress foods. So for vegetarians, would you say that it's a little more difficult because they're not eating these products? Um, yeah, but the, um, if you concentrate on well-cooked greens, uh, the, the protein and mineral balance in cooked green leafy vegetables, uh, those are essentially the same as in milk. Uh, it's just less concentrated because of the high cellulose uh, diluting it. But uh, if you can uh, uh, cook away or uh, wash away or skim away uh, the... Uh, anti-nutrients, for example, uh, too much spinach contains oxalic acid that uh, 
tends to take the calcium out of your teeth. And uh, uh, some leafy vegetables uh, have uh, uh, chemicals that uh, block your uh, uh, stomach digestive enzymes. But uh, a, a variety of cooked greens will provide uh, the same type of protein that milk provides, as well as the uh, very favorable balance of uh, magnesium, potassium, and calcium in relation to, to phosphate. So aside from the spinach, what other vegetables would be better off cooked as opposed to raw? And do you advocate any raw foods or raw salads in the mix? Um, the um, very juicy fruits are best raw, but if they're starchy, like bananas or plantains, uh, they should be cooked by, by preference uh, because the, uh, the starches uh, can uh, enter the bloodstream and trigger allergic reactions. And uh, too much undercooked starch, uh, it's called persorption. Uh, the particles enter the bloodstream and uh, can block uh, capillaries and arterioles, uh, causing cells to die until uh, the, uh, the particle can be broken down, but it, it can stay in place long enough to kill uh, cells in the heart and brain and lungs. Uh, feeding mice on a, on a very high uh, raw starch diet, uh, a biologist in, in Germany found that uh, they were very prematurely aged because of the uh, death of cells in all of their organs that were blocked by starch grains. So um, starch, like potatoes, are almost a perfect food if they're very well cooked uh, because you want to break down the, the starch and uh, the uh, non-starch ingredients of a potato uh, have almost a perfect uh, balance of nutrients. Uh, B vitamins, uh, uh, the um, essential amino acids, uh, carbohydrate in the right proportion. And uh, the only things lacking in a pure potato diet would be vitamin A and uh, uh, vitamin B12. Otherwise, they're a very balanced food. Are you speaking about sweet potatoes or uh, white potatoes? White, white potatoes. Uh, the, uh, the, some white potatoes, so-called, contain uh, enough carotene that uh, that could provide uh, the requirement of vitamin A. But uh, sweet potatoes often contain so much carotene that it interferes with digestion. And uh, too much carotene has anti-hormonal effects that can slow down your production of thyroid hormones, uh, progesterone, adrenal hormones, and so on, uh, if it accumulates to the point that it's making your uh, palms turn orange. Which it does with some people who are, ju are juicing uh, carrots a lot. Uh, yeah. I constantly warn people about that, that there are good chemicals in the juice, good nutrition, but Unless your thyroid is pretty active, it's going to accumulate the uh, carotene because uh, you uh, convert carotene to vitamin A if you have 
vitamin B12 in proportion to how active your thyroid hormone is. And if for some reason uh, you're um, getting more carotene than your vitamin B12 and thyroid can handle, uh, then it turns off the thyroid function. Uh, I experienced that myself uh, about 40 years ago, uh, eating uh, so many carrots that I uh, suppressed my thyroid. But if your thyroid is good, then having a whole carrot every day has some very important anti-stress functions. Uh, yesterday I heard from a woman who said that she had started a daily carrot salad and had almost immediate relief from all of her uh, premenstrual and digestive problems. Uh, and uh, we've measured the uh, blood hormones in a few people after they started a, a daily whole carrot. And it's the uh, stimulating effect on the intestine. The uh, fiber in the carrot isn't digestible, and so the uh, excretion of the bile into the liver carries all kinds of detoxified chemicals and hormones uh, that if you have uh, fiber in your intestine, these toxins that the liver has got rid of will be carried out bound to the carrot fiber. But uh, without enough fiber, they can be reabsorbed and recycled. And so your estrogen tends to go up as the uh, fiber in your diet goes down. And uh, that in turn turns off your, your thyroid and progesterone. So it can cause uh, all the symptoms of estrogen and cortisol excess. And in just three or four days, we've seen the uh, cortisol and estrogen level in the blood drop as the progesterone comes up just from eating a daily carrot. It's so interesting how the food that we eat influences everything about our body. Um, yeah, the, um, uh, lots of people, partly because of a, a bad industrialized diet, I think lots of Americans are now going around in a, a chronically stressed condition. It's sort of like a learned helplessness or post-traumatic stress syndrome. Uh, the, the diet uh, keeps people in a, a high cortisol, high estrogen state. And um, that's uh, something that if you're going to uh, have any stress, you should uh, well before you uh, have to do any important work, uh, you should uh, make sure that your diet isn't uh, creating the stress day by day and uh, for example uh, checking your thyroid function just by um, measuring your temperature and pulse rate when you wake up and uh, then in the, in the middle of the day they should rise so that your pulse is maybe 80 per minute at rest and your uh, temperature should be around 98.6 at rest in the morning it's okay for them to be about 10% uh, lower pulse rate and uh, maybe at 
97.8 degrees or so. Now, uh, this can also be influencing the fact that men are having hormonal issues as well, correct? Of, of who having? Uh, in, in other words, the food that, that both men and women are eating, men are also having hormonal issues. It's not only women. Uh, yeah, um, when a man is on a very bad diet or is under stress or has an accident, uh, the estrogen level rises uh, sharply. Uh, and in old age, uh, with any of the degenerative diseases, uh, men tend to uh, have a sharp increase in, in uh, estrogen. So they can avoid this or monitor this by their diet? Uh, yeah, and your temperature is, is the quickest way uh, because estrogen lowers your temperature, thyroid and progesterone and DHEA uh, help to maintain uh, a good, steady, high metabolic rate, even at rest. So when people get cold, when they're sitting there uh, in front of their desk or, or at home, then that may indicate that the hormones have changed and the thyroid is dropping. Uh, yeah, and uh, one of the tricks of the body uh, through um, increasing the uh, adrenaline can compensate for hypothyroidism. And so uh, some people are are hyper alert and anxious uh, and uh, have a high heart rate even though their thyroid is is really low and their temperature can be uh, held up and look normal uh, except that it, it's likely to be higher when you first wake up in the morning and then decrease uh, when you eat something so it switches uh, yeah because the, the night time is when you aren't eating and your adrenaline and cortisol rise, those can tear down your tissues uh, at such a rate that they keep your temperature up. Then when you eat something and lower the stress, you uh, see that your metabolism is really not so high. And uh, when the adrenaline is very high, even though your oral temperature might seem normal, your hands and feet will be cold. Uh, and maybe the tip of your nose even, because the body is uh, directing the energy so that your brain, lungs, and heart aren't deprived uh, or chilled. But uh, your body can uh, consider your hands and feet somewhat expendable and let them get very cold. So if we up the stress levels, and we've been speaking mostly about general stress, and someone does have um, a, a particular experience or if they have a surgery, then there's additional chemical changes or there's more severe chemical changes. Some of the symptoms in post-surgery can include uh, low energy or weight gain or hormonal changes or even depression and sleep disorders. And, and uh, even dementia, uh, it's... Lately, they've been measuring mental function uh, after major surgery. And uh, for months, even years after major surgery, uh, people's mental function is often uh, slowed down. Uh, that's because the 
chronic effect of cortisol, uh, which uh, slows nerve conduction. It protects uh, your, some of your tissues from inflammation, uh, but it uh, progressively uh, damages your immune system and your uh, nervous system. So what would be the best way for recovery and what are some of the things that people can do for recovery um, um, specifically, you know, in terms of uh, general diet, specific things or uh, your advice in general? Uh, uh, the thing about uh, surgery as opposed to um, a car accident or, or being tortured or something uh, is that... <laughs> you can prepare for it. And um, it, even uh, standard medical sources are now uh, saying that you should check uh, thyroid function before you uh, schedule someone for surgery because a hypothyroid person uh, doesn't do well in surgery because their cortisol is already high. Um, the um, Before Hans Selye made stress famous, uh, an American surgeon, uh, George Cryle in Cleveland, uh, hundred over a hundred years ago, was studying uh, shock from surgery and what you had to do to minimize uh, the shock. And uh, 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 shock, as he understood it, uh, came to be part of of uh, shock and stress, as Hans Selye interpreted it. And uh, for Selye, uh, an excess of estrogen was enough to uh, create the whole shock syndrome. And uh, George Crail, uh, in, in the hospital in Cleveland that he worked at, in 1908, the mortality rate from all their surgeries was 4.4%. Uh, uh, and after he devised a way to reduce stress uh, in five years of application it had cut the mortality to 1.8% uh, and uh, his basic procedure was to uh, convince the brain that nothing had happened he called it anosi association um, meaning uh, getting the uh, the brain to uh, uh, not notice the the noxious events, and uh, he found that histamine was uh, released by morphine uh, when it was used to control pain. That histamine uh, brought on uh, all of these uh, other stress hormone changes. So he added uh, an antihistamine, an herbal. A drug called scopolamine, basically an, an antihistamine, anti-stress uh, preparation to go with the anesthesia, and then he used a, a local anesthetic uh, to uh, stop. First, he would anesthetize the skin. Then, uh, as the skin was cut, each layer would get a local anesthetic, so that uh, he was not letting the brain receive any of those harmful signals. But um, a careless, quick uh, surgery nowadays often is very rough, and uh, uh, the patient wakes up with 
changes in the brain from that powerful noxious stimulation of the surgery. And uh, so if you can get the doctor to uh, reduce the trauma of the surgery, uh, that's a very important part of recovering. And uh, like the hypothyroid person uh, doesn't uh, recover very well because their metabolic rate is slow, their temperature is also very low. And uh, since the surgery uh, turning on the, uh, the stress hormones turns off the thyroid function, temperature tends to drop drastically during and following surgery. And in proportion to how the temperature falls, the uh, person's recovery is impaired. So everything that will keep your your temperature up during and after surgery, uh, preparing with uh, uh, at least two weeks of uh, adjusting thyroid so that you're not hypothyroid, uh, that makes the recovery a lot faster. Um, the um, a study in Mississippi, I think it was, uh, found that if the uh, emergent, the um, intensive care people would check the patient's vitamin D levels as they came in, they found that out of 278 cases, only three people had normal vitamin D. Uh, partly that means that deficient people get sick more often or that sickness lowers your vitamin D, but uh, some of them had as as low as eight or ten uh, nano, nanograms per milliliter, where it should be fifty or fifty-five. Uh, that's the normal range. And the uh, when he got the dietitian to uh, check their vitamin D levels and supplement vitamin D, the uh, length of stay in intensive care was cut in half. Uh, survival increased, and the expenses uh, saved the hospital more than half of the expenses just by that one vitamin. It's amazing. You mentioned a vitamin. It's amazing. You mentioned a herbal antihistamine earlier. What was that again? Uh, that was scopolamine, and uh, that is sometimes available uh, if a person is nauseated after surgery, uh, that's a very safe anti-nausea drug, which uh, does several things. It helps to uh, hold up the body temperature besides stopping the nausea. And can it be used with anesthetics? Um, it, yeah, uh, it was part of the uh, anesthesia that was pioneered by uh, George Kreil, and it's, it's still occasionally in use, but since it's a a generic herbal uh, chemical uh, the drug companies aren't uh, very keen on having it promoted but it is available both as part of the anesthetic and part of the recovery program and what can uh, people do as far as specific diet for post-surgery recovery to help their brain and their body recover um the same foods that are generally good, but emphasizing uh, the things that are lost specifically by high stress, uh, 
which are protein, zinc, uh, uh, some of the B vitamins are turned over very fast in stress. So uh, foods like uh, uh, liver and oysters and eggs, which are rich in the trace minerals and protein, are, uh, as long as you're getting adequate uh, carbohydrate and uh, uh, calcium, uh, these happen to be high phosphate foods along with the protein, but uh, they have the uh, highest concentration of the healing uh, minerals and vitamins. You're listening to WMNF. Tampa 88.5 on your dial and we're speaking with Dr. Ray Pete and we spoke a little bit earlier about cheeses and I wanted to ask you a question relating to pasteurization you mentioned that there's beneficial nutrients does this get discounted once the um, milks or cheeses are pasteurized um, no it's such a tiny amount uh, they pasteurize it now in, I think it's something like three seconds at a high temperature and then it drops immediately. So there's very little oxidative damage done now by pasteurizing. So it's uh, a quick flash pasteurization. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, it, it might lower the, uh, the vitamin A content three or four percent, something like that, but since it's such a good, rich source of all these nutrients, uh, no one is going to suffer deficiency if they're eating pasteurized milk and cheese. And what's your feeling about exercise during uh, that recovery time for people that have gone through surgery? Um, to um, I think uh, better just to um, regain uh, flexibility and mobility in a, a gentle way, not to worry about muscle building exercise. Uh, the, the time to think about that is before surgery, because uh, in one study of old people, uh, they found that the fatter they were, the better their long-range survival was. Uh, in the six months following a surgery, uh, the death rate was much higher in the lean, low-body mass people and the uh, survival went up directly in proportion to the body mass and uh, the, the uh, in aging or stress uh, the uh, muscles are shrunken and it isn't just the, the fat that is a, a buffer against stress but uh, it's mainly the mass of the muscles and Exercises uh, such as uh, deep knee bends, uh, mild weightlifting with dumbbells, uh, just uh, a few minutes a day of uh, mild resistance exercise of that sort can keep your muscles uh, sound and uh, relatively massive. And muscles are themselves a hormone source. They can produce... Uh, testosterone instead of cortisol uh, when you're doing these resistant exercises. Uh, so they are, uh, the muscle building is protecting your heart and brain as well as uh, building up the reserves of, of tissue that uh, are part of your resistance against stress. 
You mentioned that the uh, cortisol damages the brain once the uh, trauma has happened. Is that reversible over time if someone is uh, following a protocol that would support their greater health? Um, yeah, it's probably just the same as the uh, following anorexia. Uh, that They've seen that young women uh, can have a great and quick regrowth of the mass of the brain substance uh, just by uh, stopping the stress and starting to eat well. And I think that would happen with old people who are partially demanded by the, the stress of, of a very serious surgery. And uh, lastly, I wanted to chat a little bit about adrenals. As uh, many, many people these days seem to be suffering from low adrenals or adrenal fatigue. Um, our, I mentioned that the muscles are an important source of, of steroid synthesis. Our biggest uh, endocrine gland is our brain. And uh, the, uh, the brain stabilizes all of the organs. And if if your brain is experiencing stress, uh, that uh, shifts the, uh, the the adrenal function to uh, cortisol rather than uh, DHEA and uh, progesterone and the androgens. Um, and uh, the adrenals uh, shouldn't uh, produce uh, simply the, uh, the stress promoting hormones. They should be putting out some of the defensive uh, protective progesterone, DHEA, and pregnenolone as well. Uh, but when your brain uh, gives them uh, these super stress signals, then um, they will over over um, act and uh, the uh, at Hans Selye uh, defined the adrenal failure as when uh, the adrenal gland begins bleeding and the cells die that make steroids. But uh, the uh, adrenal cortex is extremely able to regenerate uh, as fast as the thymus and uh, thyroid gland. The cortex of the adrenal, if you're well fed and if you stop the stress signals, it can regenerate. So what Hans Selye was, was talking about was uh, an acute stress causes immediate bleeding of your stomach and intestines. And uh, that's because of the high cortisol production, among other stress hormones. And uh, if you continue that too long without uh, feeding some of the, uh, uh, the curative uh, nutrients, uh, sugar, zinc, magnesium, calcium, and so on, vitamin D, uh, then the uh, adrenal glands can't keep up the intense work, and uh, they start bleeding, and uh, tissue dies. Uh, too much estrogen is one of the things that can contribute to uh, overacting uh, of the adrenal cortex. In, in animal experience experiments, we saw that just injecting a big dose of uh, estrogen would cause adrenal uh, enlargement in a, a moderate case or bleeding and death 
in an extreme dose of estrogen. It's absolutely amazing uh, how everything is so connected and reactive of what we're doing both with our diet and our exercise and our lifestyle choices. Um, I should mention that cholesterol and uh, thyroid and vitamin A are the uh, important things for keeping the adrenal cortex from getting stressed to death because uh, the cortisol or the cholesterol is the uh, raw material for making cortisol and the other stress uh, adaptive hormones. And without enough uh, cholesterol and uh, thyroid and vitamin A, uh, the cells are stimulated but can't can't work, and so they they just give up and atrophy. What sources of cholesterol would you recommend? Um, a good diet, uh, uh, plenty of fruit and milk in the diet will allow your uh, tissues, especially the liver and brain, uh, to make uh, as much cortisol, as much cholesterol as they need. And uh, speaking of liver, would you recommend for people to eat liver, if they do eat meat, to eat liver or heart or kidneys from grass-fed uh, beef, for example, is that a helpful thing to? Uh... Um, yeah, the um, the liver, except for the ratio of of calcium to phosphate, the liver has the highest concentration of the anti-stress nutrients, and so at least twice a month there should be a good meal of of liver for stress resistance, maybe once a week. Uh, four, four ounces a week is, is a safe and uh, effective amount. Good old liver and onions, eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Ray Pete, thank you so, so much for joining us tonight on the Ultrasounds show. It is always such a delight to have you on, and we very, very much appreciate your time and fountain of information if people would like to get in touch with you and find out more about your own uh, services where do they go well my website is repeat.com and you also have a youtube page correct i don't know (laughs) (laughs) you are up on youtube and people can uh, listen to some of your interviews and uh, I have on my website, RadiantSoul.com, one of our past interviews where we spoke uh, about good fats and coconut oil. And that was very informative. And we had many, many people commenting and uh, writing back about that. So thank you so, so much. Okay, thank you. Many, many blessings. Much love, sweetheart. Thank you. Bye. And we've been speaking with Dr. Ray Pete. And... Uh, If you are just tuned in halfway through, you can always listen to this show again for the next uh, six or seven days until it gets replaced. And you can go to 